electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the best week of the year for stocks. The big question now, how long can it last? We'll ask the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Vimos, Brian Belsky, everybody around the table at Post 9. As we check the markets, let's make this real simple. Yields way down, stocks way up. Shannon, is it really that? That's it? Yields way down, stocks set up. I'd say the bulls went three and a half for four this week. (laughs) Three and a half for four. Treasury refunding. All right, that's good. Powell, good. Apple earnings, I'll give that the half. I mean, they're good enough. They're, they're, they're okay. Jobs report, good. Three and a half out of four. That's what we needed. Yeah, this was the overhang that we've been talking about, Scott. I mean, we're coming into this week expecting there to be, you know, potentially, uh, you know, a calamity, uh, especially from a, you know, China perspective and and demand perspective at Apple. Um, We did get our hawkish statement, but less hawkish Powell in the press conference. And I think the other thing is, you know, talking about rates, we've been talking about debt sustainability. We've been talking about the balance sheet. We've been talking about fiscal concerns and considerations and the challenges that Treasury Secretary Yellen has had in, in in telegraphing issuance. And so I think all of those factors coming into this week have created a foundation or stability for rates that we were kicking up towards 5%. I mean, Scott, we've gone from three and a half to five to five to four and a half in a matter of weeks, right? <laughs> and so, you know, that rate volatility is something that we're still concerned about because we think that there is going to continue to be some potential pressure on rates. But for right now, in this moment, it does feel like some of those very near-term rates risks have potentially been mitigated. So I'm looking at 10-year yield right now, 448, to to your point. Uh, BMO Belsky, uh, 4550 is your target, which just a couple of weeks ago looked a little (laughs) dicey. (laughs) Looked a little dicey. Here we go. Uh, Is that it? Here we go? Is this the start of this year-end move? I think so. And I think if you go back and look at last week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and how the bond market closed and how it was trading, it actually was tighter than most people think. I think the bottom was starting in, was the top in yields, and the bottom in price was already developing. I think that made people feel a little bit better, number one. Number two, I think people were so massively negative, massively negative. And earnings actually have been good. And then thirdly, I, I would say this, is that the bearish narrative, and now they're doubling down again, and they're, now they're changing. And to me, that makes me uber bullish, as you know. Yeah. Um, Michael Hartnett, he's been, you know, he's been negative, Joe, on, on the market, now says technical factors no longer stand in the way of a year-end rally. With oil under 100, yields below 5%, S&P trading above the 4,200 level, positioning could pick up again. So this is what 
you know, the Bulls have been playing for. Positioning coming into the end of the year, and you're getting exactly what you need. Oil not rocketing higher on the Middle East. Yields not rocketing higher because Powell was dovish in the, in the news conference, had many opportunities to talk the market off of where it is relative to future hikes, and he did not do it. So everything you just described, what's the strongest impact on the market itself? You are only as strong as your weakest link. The weakest link in the market has been the Russell. The weakest link has been the regional banks. The weakest link has been real estate. Real estate's up 3% today. Regional banks are up 4%. We now have consecutive days where we're seeing the Russell leading the market higher. So what does that do? That provides stability. And when you have stability within the market, you could begin to re-engage with a degree of optimism. And you could point towards Brian's target and begin to make... Uh, begin to build the evidence that's on why you could actually get there. So Morgan Stanley's Mike, I refuse to throw in the towel, Wilson, um, says don't count, Jenny, on a year-end rally. Quote, we think the S&P 500 price action into year-end is more likely to come down to where the average stock is trading rather than rallying to higher levels because of breath, because breath typically leads price. Well, I mean, breath is improving to Joe's point by the day. The gains over one week in the major averages are pretty stunning. The Russell, as Joe said, is up near 8%, 8% in a week. That tells you where the breadth of the market's going. Financials improving, regional banks looking better. A lot of these areas that have been se severely depressed are starting to look better. So I agree with Mike. And I, and I agree with Mike on simple math, because let's remember, too, Mike's comment is based on the market, which is the S&P 500. Yeah, I know. The S&P is up near 6% in a week. Correct. And I think that's as high as we can get. And the reason being is, if we look at 2024 earnings, 2024 consensus earnings are $247 a share. To go from 2023 to 2027, we need 11.5% earnings growth. We're not seeing that. So I think the $247 consensus estimates next year, those are too rosy. You take an 18 times multiple, which is where we're at right now, and the market between now and next year or now and tomorrow is flat. Like there's no more room for upside from here. You can only get that upside if either earnings grow even more aggressively. Yep, I'm sure you would have said that last week. There's no room for upside that. from here. Oh, no, 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 no. I think we're in this, I think we're stuck in this range. And actually last week I kind of had the same math out there. And when we were at 41.50, it looked like if we kind of got to 18 times and we did get to 247, like maybe you had six or seven. I think we're stuck. I've been thinking that we're stuck for a very long time. We're and I think up 200 we're points from 41.50. It's just, we're gonna bounce around. Right. And I think I would f I hate using this jargon, but I would fade it around forty four hundred or forty five hundred on the S&P 500. I don't see how you get higher. What I think is interesting is the unbelievable rotation, which is what Joe started to touch on. So our portfolio, right, like I had four stocks in the portfolio yesterday in the dividend income strategy that were up over 10 percent. That's crazy. Only one of them was on earnings. Why were they up so much? Because of interest rates coming down. And they're wildly, wildly oversold. So that's why I wanted to say, when, Mike's, when Mike Wilson says the market, I agree with him. Where I think there's operating, like, look at the Russell, right? Look at things that are out of favor. Look at, you know, Weiss and I got into it last week on regional banks. Like, I don't want to go long regional banks, but there are regional banks out there that are wildly oversold. So I think it's a stock picker's market. I think you have plenty of opportunity to pick off individual names that are way low, but broadly for the market, I don't see how it goes higher than this. The math doesn't work to get you there. I mean, the bears have been saying for as long as I can remember, Brian, at this point now, 
that the price is wrong. It's kind of the math that Jenny's talking about. Mike Wilson has used that repeatedly, that very phrase, the, the price is wrong. Well, the bears have been hanging on a couple of, of major things. Deficit, too high. Recession odds, growing. When maybe it just comes back to what people have said is more powerful than anything. The Fed is either your friend or the yep. Fed is your foe. For the better part of 18 months, the Fed has been your foe, okay? The Fed's done, more than likely. If it can be, it is, don't you think? Yes, well, I think too that uh, the bond market did the Fed's job mm -hmm. uh, mostly in October, and especially the last couple of weeks in October, Scott. You know, everything that my good friend Jenny said, I agree with, except for the, the market stuff and the price stuff. If you That's listen a lot to her. what I said. No, but listen, <laughs> listen, listen what she said stability, breath, things getting better. But then the stock market is a market of stocks. We're investing. We're not buying the market. We're buying companies. And I think this week was monumental, monumental for what, ha what happened with respect to small mid-cap stocks and the Russell. That's a really, really, really big deal. I think the risk trade might be the regionals because they still have fundamental issues and massively under own. But I think this was a really, really important turning week. And oh, by the way, remember, people buy stocks after they've gone up. See, here's the thing. Shan, the, those cautious, um, they hated the market at 4,000. They hated it at 41 and 42. And now they hate it at 43. And they're probably going to say they hate it if they get to Brian's target near 45. I mean, you're one of those who's been really cautious. Neutral, but cautious. And I would say what, and I would say that we have been cautious because underlying the, the other 493 stocks in the S&P 500 show you that everything is not quite as rosy from an economic perspective as we have anticipated. The fact that small caps have been uh, performing in a, in a terrible manner. Small caps are the underpinning of the U.S. economy, small companies, you know, and more so on the private side, but certainly in small cap companies here in the United States. Those are a domestic trade. They do not rely on the growth in Europe. They do not rely on BOJ's currency policy to do well. And nobody is interested. So for me, the other thing that I want to take issue with, perhaps, is the fact that, yes, maybe the Fed is done. What has been happening in the bond market is not because of the Fed. It's because of a number of other exogenous issues that we are having about positioning, expectations for rates, the short end of the curve being essentially equal with the long end of the curve and the fact that nobody wants to take duration. So the Fed being done to me does not solve the problem of whether we re-approach 5% on the 10-year. There was a catalyst this week that ignited the rally. The catalyst was the Treasury quarterly refund. That was the first thing. That's, that's, what, that's what got all of us going. So. The bearish argument, which I'm not dismissing, the bearish argument needs a similar catalyst. As you look towards the end of the year, we all know geopolitical shocks are obviously a potential bearish catalyst. Beyond that, government shutdown, I'm not sure if that's a bearish catalyst or not. Recession, but, but I can't recession see. is still, you can't, look, you, you've got the, the chalkboard of all these things. You can't erase recession yet. The, but the just don't know. The but there's enough period of time probably between now and whenever then is, that that's why folks say there's a window for a, a significant move in the market. But it's, what's interesting this week is, let, let's be, be clear, I, I suspect all of the economic evidence we're getting this week is telling you we are slowing and the consumer's slowing and manufacturing is in this 12-month malaise. 
the oddity about that is the market's cheering it. The market is literally cheering the fact well, that we are you, slowing well, down. Well, the definition of a soft landing is you slow down, you don't crash. Well, you're, you're, you're making the assumption that, not you, but you're making the assumption then that the soft landing is a perfect landing. You know, you could see the economy begin to contract and it gets to become a little bit more than a soft so landing. So let me ask you this, um, Jenny, what, what Jeffrey Gunlock told us this week right after Jay Powell finished, right, um, that it's a great time to be a bond investor. Now, he, he thought the stock market could go up. He certainly said he wouldn't be a seller. Um, T-bill and chill is how he's described it. I ask you this. Is it time to buy bonds and stocks? How about that? Okay. I'll always say on the bond side, it depends on what your needs are. If you have a portfolio horizon of 20 or 30 years, or maybe even 10 to 20 years, no, you don't, you don't buy bonds. Because over the next 10 to 20 years, stocks are still going to deliver a, a better return than bonds, right? If you are, can we talk about? Can we talk yes. about like the next couple of years? Okay, the next 10 couple of years, years, then for sure. And particularly if you want to talk about the next year or two. In fact, in my office, we've been having this debate. I'm more ter- team T bill and chill, although I would do it with corporate bonds because I think you can get a little bit more juice. So I think you can go out six months, eighteen months. You can get six to eight, six to six point eight percent on really high quality corporate bonds. Kick back, relax, not worry about anything. My colleague Greg is taking a little bit different approach. He He's saying, look, buy the 10-year Vanguard Treasury, you're going to get 5.5%. And you know what? If rates go down, you might get a 10% capital appreciation kicker on top of that. So I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but you need to be short-term focused. You need to know that if the market rallies, you're not going to participate. But yeah, now's the time that you can actually start thinking about this again. There's real return for the risk you're taking. We haven't seen that in a decade. What do you think about that question, Brian? Is it time? We've had an either-or dynamic for a while now. Is it time to buy both? Yes. I do. You probably are surprised to hear me say that. (laughs) But the more people talk about 60-40 being dead, the more I love that. Uh, I think, per my prior comments, the way that the bond market acted last week, Scott, we could see a top in yields and a bottom in price and maybe a cyclical top. That means we could be in an environment as our overall broadening theme of uh, normal for longer. If you have high single-digit, low double-digit market performance, and like Jenny said, you can get 10 to 12 percent return, price return in terms of total return on a 10-year treasury, yes, that's going to be a great investment for the next few years. Shan, J.P. Morgan today says take profits in bonds. Treasuries don't appear to be exceptionally cheap anymore after the moves we've seen this week. Goldman says bonds are going to beat cash for the first time since 2020. The, the challenge here is that trying to time this uh, move in and out of bonds is very, very difficult. And what I would say and what I would caution people to do is that if you're attempting to take off the table some of these exogenous shocks to the yield curve that we have talked about, Treasuries don't, do not appear exceptionally cheap anymore is a comment that doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at the historical performance of treasuries after the last couple of years. Like we are in an unprecedented, and I use that term very specifically, we are in an unprecedented period of treasury underperformance. And so if you are just an investor who looks out over the long term and thinks about mean reversion, and you also think about what type of landscape are we looking for for the next 10 years, we are not going back to a bond market that we have experienced over the last decade. And so therefore, I look at the next 10 years and say, well, given the underperformance, why would I bet against the Treasury right now? Over the given last all four the decades, you had a 40-year yes. bull market in bonds. In the last two years, you have total real rates of return negative. People don't know what this is. All the more reason to kind of look at maybe this is a bottom over the next couple of years. What about, Joe, cash, right? Dubrovko, Lakos, J.P. Morgan sat in this chair 
earlier in the week when I asked him what is the absolute best place to be in the market right now, and he said, without question, cash. Cash is, cash is king. Now, that call's not looking too great today, but you know, a few days doesn't a few days doesn't a, a big picture make. Yeah, and I, as I said the other day, if you if you want to have ownership of cash, then you believe we have stagflation ahead of us. That's why you're in cash. I don't think we see that at all. I will tell you that we've seen the retreat in bond yields of nearly 50 basis points. I think it's playing it cute, uh, too cute to say to yourself, okay, if you're long bonds, you want to sell them now. I don't think that's the right move. I think owning bonds is still the right move, and there's better opportunity more value opportunity that exists in the bond market relative to stocks. And I think a lot of that resides in the fact that I just see this economic contraction and the economic contraction is going to build momentum. So and that's the benefit of bonds. So you you, Jenny, would be a a seller of this this move that we've seen this week. Uh, I think you said could, you, I think you, said you didn't like to say it, but you said you'd fade it. I, I think if we got 4,400, 4,500, and if that's your price target, 4,500, we just need to remember that's three and a half percent higher than where we are now. But stocks are moving crazily under it. So, you know, I have things that are up 30 percent in five days. And, yeah, if, they, if the market drifts a little higher, I'd be comfortable taking money off the table. At what point do, you know, the, the bears or folks who are or more cautious, you know, just sort of capitulate and say, Fed's probably done. Um, the economy actually may hang in there good enough. Earnings are going to hang in there good enough, and it's time to get more positive on stocks. Well, what's the answer to that question? Good enough. Good yeah. enough to justify expectations for earnings next year. I think that's a, I think that's a hard ask. I mean, I, I mean that's, that to me is what, what is good enough. I mean, if we're looking at less than 1% GDP growth next year, that's not a recession, but that's certainly a lot lower than what we've experienced today. And that, in, in our view, is going to be driven by the consumer. And so I think it's important to note, you know, when do we get excited and when do we capitulate? I think it's more about underlying positioning. I mean, again, we're neutral equities. We're cautious, but we're, you know, we've talked about this, Scott, and, and you've asked me a when, lot of when questions. When do you want to be overweight equities? I'm trying to get to the bottom of when do the more when cautious we, people, what's the signal? You know what, because I'm sure, I'm sure viewers who are watching are in the same camp, right? Not everybody's bullish. Not everybody's uber bearish. I'm sure there are some people in the camp of, well, I thought the market was going to be a lot worse than it is. What's the signal I need to look for? So I can stop listening to the bears tell me, don't get into stocks, don't be in stocks, be neutral stocks. We're late cycle right now. We are not early cycle. Until we see a bottoming of economic activity, when we become more comfortable that we're entering into early cycle, then I don't think you want to be overweight stocks. However, there are opportunities underneath, and so that's why we're not significantly underweight stocks right now. What's the counter to that? (laughs) I would uh, would say this. Uh, The bearish narrative will get even more bearish if we hit above 4,600, 4,700, because it would be all about valuation and they're going to go crazy. They will not be bullish until we see a massive sell-off under 4,000, capitulation, and a potential negative quarter in GDP. There's no doubt that we're going to see a contraction in growth, but that does not mean we're going to see a recession. It just means a slowdown. Oh, by the way, oh, we're back to the 90s. And I think that's kind of what we're going to be seeing. And here are the numbers on that. The numbers on that are, if again, if we look at next year's earnings, 247, and you put a 16 and a half multiple on it, markets between 3,900 and 4,000, right? And so I think 
if I were positioned in a bearish way and I were going to reverse my, my trend on that or you know, say, hey, I'm going to go bullish from here, I would need the market to be trading between, I don't know, 16 and a half times, maybe 16 times. I, I, I want to just give everyone a little bit of a glimpse of how powerful this rally has been this week. It is a powerful, short covering rally. And I, I've traded S&P futures and NASDAQ futures all week. And I could tell you, anytime you get the slightest dip, it's bought. Look at Apple. The market returns. Look at where we are. Look right at now. Apple, we're for right, example. We're right back to the highs in the S&P futures as we're sitting here. Every attempt to sell it off, you see significant buying. And that's an indication that from a positioning perspective, everyone was overwhelmingly short. A- so Apple. all the billionaires that are bearish, they're probably in there buying futures. Apple, to me, is a, a perfect example of your fourth consecutive quarter of you know negative revenue growth year on year you know concerns about the holiday quarter which is bread and butter when you have the new phone and yet the stock it wasn't down hardly at all and now it's rallying off of where it where it was at the lowest levels i'm not suggesting or who knows if it's going to go positive but that is hardly that's why i gave it only a half in terms of the four for four uh, that's hardly a sell-off at all. But, but, but again, it's, it's back to positioning. And we discussed on Closing Bell yesterday, when you looked at the put-to-call skew, it was at the 80th percentile, favoring puts. And you have not had that type of bearish representation in the options market for Apple since literally 2018. So you're talking about levels that you haven't reached in five years. The market came in to the Apple report needing something really bearish to extend the negative momentum. So do I want to stay, Brian, with mega caps like Chris Harvey of Wells says, stick with the Uber caps into year's end? Is that the best place to be? Even as things look a little broader over the last few days, Russell's, you know, ripping near 3% today. 3% in one day for the Russell. We would say you want to be there as core positions, but not all of the magnificent. You want to be overweight mega cap tech? We're overweight tech, so technically, yes, I would say yes. But we also we also are advocating small cap. And so we think that there's going to be a broader participation and small caps come along for the ride. In terms of small caps, do you want to be in regional banks like Bill Gross calls the bottom yesterday and buys a, a handful of those? Truist, Citizens, Key Corp, First Horizon? Those are too big for us on small cap land. We're talking more like First Citizens or Glacier Bank Corp because clean balance sheets and great management, those types of banks. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, coming up, our chart of the day. We do have a major drop today in one cybersecurity stock. We do have ownership on the desk. We'll trade that coming up. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. 
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. All right, chart of the day. Let's show it to you. It's Fortinet, and it is down 16% Joe T. Yes, in, sir. In the Joe T. Mm-hmm. Why is that chart of the day? I wanted Garten <laughs> to be the chart of the day. Hey, I got that should be the chart too. of the day, IT. All right, let's talk about Fortinet. Let's do it. Um, you know I'm going to tell you this is idiosyncratic. Otherwise, CrowdStrike would be lower. Palo Alto would be a lot lower than where it is right now. This is sales execution, which is evidence that it's idiosyncratic. Their firewall products are where they're seeing significant challenges. You know there's nothing I could do about this until the end of January. Not every stock in your position is going to work. And this is a stock that... You just rebalanced. You're already having, you know, rebalancers remorse? No, no, it is what it is. No, not at all. Not every stock is going to be perfect in a portfolio. Um, This is a stock, by the way that we initiated in November of 2020 at $24. In October of 2022, we were out of it at $49. We bought it back in July at a very high price point. It looks ugly right now. And it is not a referendum in any regard on cybersecurity itself. No, this seems to be a referendum on this stock, which, by the way, specific to Fortinet. Cantor Fitzgerald, target cut to 50 from 75. That's a big, big cut. Okay. Downgraded at JP Morgan to 52 from 67. Target cut at Stiefel to 52 from 69. Evercore ISI to 51 from 78. Seems like the street is really resetting expectations on the direction of the stock. And they absolutely should. And it'll be dealt with at the end of January. I'm happy today that we're equally weighted. Look at where we are today. We're doing just fine. Gartner, IT, ticker symbol IT. All right, Palo Alto, Jenny. How, how about it? Does this is this as idiosyncratic as Joe suggests? I think it is. And if we remember last quarter, Fortinet announced the stock was down. Palo Alto followed. Yep. Then when Palo Alto reported a couple weeks later, they saw it really was idiosyncratic, and Palo Alto rallied dramatically. But the reason that we've always owned Palo Alto instead of Fortinet is we've seen it as a more diversified product line of cybersecurity and a more resilient, sustainable free cash flow yield. They both have high free cash flow yield, but our but our version on Palo Alto was that was just more resilient than Fortinet. And so far, that's played out to be accurate. Yeah. B. Belsky, what do you think? We own Palo Alto, great management team. Cash flow is great. But 
Do not underestimate. Well, you think the management team's probably great at every company you own. No, I don't. I mean, what do you mean? Actually, don't, because I sold some stocks because uh, we got it wrong. Team. We sold some stocks because we got it wrong recently. But don't underestimate how important some of the redistribution back into bricks and mortar aerospace and defense has been the last six weeks, too, because of what's going on around the world. So that might have had something to do with it as well. All right. Uh, headlines now. Dom Chu. What do you have for us? All right, so Judge, President Biden and First Lady are traveling to Lewiston, Maine this afternoon after last week's mass shooting. They are going to pay respects to the victims and meet with the families and the community there as well. President Biden has been calling on Congress to pass an assault weapons ban, increase red flag laws, and institute universal background checks. An appeals court has rejected Ivanka Trump's request to avoid testifying in her family's fraud trial. The former president's daughter had argued that testifying, quote, in the middle of a school week would cause her, quote, unquote, undue hardship. The ruling means Ivanka Trump will testify in court on Wednesday. The former president is scheduled to appear on Monday. And the star CEO announced today that the network and streaming service will lay off more than 10 percent of its workforce and is leaving the Australia and U.K. markets. That's according to an email to staff obtained by CNBC. Stars is also planning to separate itself from Lionsgate in the first quarter. The two have been one company since Lionsgate acquired Stars back in 2016. Scott, those are your headlines. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom, I appreciate that. Thank you, Dom Chu. Coming up, a travel stock is soaring on earnings today. One firm calls it the best bargain in the space. Joe recently bought it, which means we'll trade it next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Big day shaping up. You just see we're green across the board. I have a trade alert for you, too. Bill Baruch, uh, he just added to some positions, so we wanted him to call in and tell us about it. So you said you were going or you thought you were going to add to AMD, which you did, and you added to NVIDIA as well. Talk to us. I, I did, and I'm sticking with the game plan. Again, this has been in motion since July, looking for the seasonality of the sell-off to take through looking for these earnings to come out to get some confirmation. Obviously, NVIDIA's earnings uh, you know, still to come. But AMD, I, I think that was a great report, as we discussed yesterday. And something Josh really spoke of, too, you know, sometimes I find myself trying to fit the bill to a narrative that I'm looking for the next NVIDIA, when really NVIDIA is staring me right down the line here. And I, I increased AMD um, after this earnings report, let it settle in, bringing it up to our number seven position. But I didn't want to leave NVIDIA behind. So I increased the stock there and bringing that. So they're leg and leg as their number seven position. I mean, the AI space, I think we've seen a lot of a lot of gas come out of the balloon a bit. And I think from here, it's, we're seeing it really settle in very nicely. NVIDIA holding great technical support. 
Uh, and then look at what we're seeing in yields today. I mean, what the two-year yield has done in coming down and breaking a multi-month low, uh, I think it's going to be a tailwind to tech. And we're right back on track for this Christmas rally. And I want to own the best stocks out there. Yeah, I appreciate you calling in and giving us an update there. AMD one week, uh, 15.5%. Joe, I'll just go to you before we move on to some of our uh, earnings things, because AMD, if I recall, was one that was moved out of the Joe T. It was. Good and timing. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I'm no, just kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm no, kidding. No. I'm that, kidding. Uh, the rules <laughs> said move out of it, and that's what we do. I mean, still good timing, whether the rules are the rules. Maybe we need to rethink the rules. Nope. Very happy with where we are today. All right. Uh, Earnings. Let's talk earnings. Uh, Expedia. It's you, too. You got that in the T. Up big. Up big, right? Oh, it's up big, yeah. Talk maybe maybe one. I should come it's back. It's not Gartner, but maybe you know. I. Well, maybe I should say, well, we, you know, we sold AMD so we could buy Expedia. No, I'm not going to do that. The expectations going into okay. this earnings report for Expedia were very low. To the benefit of Expedia shareholders, what's important here is the geographic exposure. So they don't have the geographic exposure that Booking Holdings does to the Middle East. Booking Holdings has 89% international exposure. Expedia is more domestically oriented. In addition to that, the margins were very strong here. And then the buyback, the $5 billion buyback, it's very aggressive. And there's an indication here that there's more to come on the buyback. So this is a great example of being able to take advantage of low expectations in earnings, right? And coming in and exceeding that bar. Complete opposite of booking holdings because in booking holdings which you have to the expect yes in the booking holdings the expectations were actually high for them so Expedia uh, benefited I think from in August talking uh, and lowering guidance significantly it's one of the reasons why I'm seeing the big pop right now up 18 percent yes nice very nice yeah glad you mentioned it twice uh, Skyworks <laughs> you have a, what's your comment there not much on Skyworks. I really don't have. Uh, I own Skyworks. You have you have Skyworks. It's in the portfolio. It's up one and one and a half percent on a day where the market's rallying strongly. Uh, candidly, a little bit disappointed by that type of reaction. Do you want to give me Skyworks? Yeah. So it's interesting. We added it earlier this year, and we and what they do is they make semi chips that are, that are used in communication. So Wi-Fi, um, wireless network, satellite radio, all of that. It's it's really a niche area. And when we bought it, we thought, oh, demand has bottomed. Actually, we were early on that. And and what we hear on the earnings call today is you've got a company that's got. 11, is trading at 11 times depressed earnings, generated a billion six in free cash flow, has a 12% free cash flow yield. So to me, this is really where you want to be. Oh, by the way, they have no debt. It's a debt-free company. Don't you think the reaction should have been stronger? I mean, the stock's been no, been because punished. No, because guidance is weak. And what they're saying is that whole bottoming, bottoming of demand isn't here. Okay. And it's a little further. So that I mean, ambiguity, isn't this an Apple supplier? Yeah. So how can Skyworks rip if Apple's not ripping? Well... Um, uh, because it's been down so significantly, if you look at that yeah. chart, this stock has been punished. So any any form of a hint that this is not as bad as expected, I would have thought the stock would have been up a I little don't know. bit more, I just, I just especially think, on a day when the market's so strong. I don't. I think okay, but let's think about the fact that there's no debt, right? Who's been really punished in the last few weeks? It's the high debt companies. So this being punished is not because of high debt. And now, like, what's juicing all these little ones today? Interest rates coming down. All the companies with leverage are up a lot. They're not in that. They're just kind of in a realistic place, which is demand is going to take a little while to work its way out. And it's not just Apple. It's automotive. It's industrial. They have a huge client base. They're going to be in like 75 billion devices. But it's 
it's kind of a commodity. It's a slow and steady. So I'm comfortable with this response. I, I mean, I the think, smartphone market has been weak. Yeah. That's yeah. the reason why the stock hasn't done anything. Right. Bottom line. And, and the outlook's and, not getting any better. I would say Well, I mean, it's getting worse. a little bit for, I mean, you know, it's not like. Well, actually, Skyworks told you the outlook's not going to get better. But you can say, all right, what multiple does this deserve to trade at in the long run? And I would say with a 12% free cash flow yield, it should probably trade, I don't know, 13, 14 times earnings. You know, if we get there, we've got 25 to 30% upside. That's not so bad. If that takes me a year in this environment and I'm in something that has less volatility, it's relatively stable, a lot of clarity, I'm good with that. Okay, Joey, uh, what about EOG? Let's you take know, a look at that stock. It, it's, it's interesting because, I, first of all, oil's down today. And as I said the other day, I really believe for these energy equities, this is a prove-it quarter. This is the quarter they have to make their move. They have not performed so far. You, can't, uh, you cannot dismiss that premise. I know everyone is overweight energy, myself included. We're all carrying positions waiting to see that the supply to demand imbalance is going to reward us. And it hasn't so far. So EOG, very modestly higher. And, you know, oil's down today. Again, I'm somewhat disappointed by that. All right. Coming up, our call of the day. It's a big upgrade from one of next week's earnings headliners. Shares up more than 15% this week alone. There's the chart. We give you the name. We give you the trade. We do it next. Big upgrade today ahead of earnings next week. KeyBank is the one who did it. They go to overweight, and that's from sector weight price target to 60. Jenny, you go first on this. That's a big upside from here. That's a big upside, and frankly, it makes us nervous. So we've trimmed around 45, we've trimmed around 47, and the way we're looking at it is we're seeing slight demands of weakness in travel, dining, entertainment, that's softening a little bit. So we think that 60 is aggressive. It's still a big holding. And by the way, when we bought it a year and change ago, our estimates were free for free cash flow to be $2 billion in 24, $4 billion in 25. And we underestimated those. Those are coming in at three and five. So I think it's solid. I think it's great. But that $60 price target and that level of enthusiasm right here makes us a little nervous, which is why we trimmed. Joe, you so nervous? Does it, does it, no, not at all. Not with Uber. They've taken significant share from Lyft. And I think when you look into 2024, the improvement of the balance sheet, S&P 500. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think that's where this stock belongs, given how critically important it is in everyone's day-to-day -day activities, both personally and professionally. And the improvement is there. The fundamentals have been improved significantly. Delivery has benefited them. Mobility's coming back strongly. Stock is at 47. I think it goes to, well into the 60s. You own it too, Brian, right? right? Oh, I do. We owned it. <laughs> we bought it in September after the big pullback. And per Joe's point, uh, this is going to be an S&P 500 stock next year, and it's going to be classified as an industrial. And that's part of the reason why we bought it, because we want a little bit growthier in an industrial, and we do love monopolies. Yeah, KeyBank today says, we believe Uber has cemented itself as the category leader in mobility and has successfully leveraged its brand and consumer reach. Uh, delivery, all this other stuff that they've got going on that, by the way, Lyft doesn't. That's one of the differentiators. Obviously, zero interest rate environment, you know, lifts all boats, different environment, 
doesn't lift all boats. Yeah. Uber kept going, profitability lift went, went the other direction. Your point? No, I, no, I was going to say, you know, and when I say we've trimmed, we're still strongly behind it. We paid 20, I think 22 for it. You know, that would say if we started at a 3% position, it would have been a 6% position. So the trim is just to be prudent. It's not to make a negative call. Okay. Uh, we have more earnings next week. Uh, it's a busy calendar still. Disney is on the list. We'll trade that along with NXP Semi. Want to do that? Wait, are we doing that now? We'll do that next. We'll do it next. All right, Disney uh, reports next week. Brian Belsky, go first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and every other Disney shareholder has the same reaction, <laughs> though this week it's up near 8%. You know, we made a mistake. And the reason why we made a mistake is we took a little bit too long term of a picture. You know, our theme for communication services is cash content uh, and consolidation. And we really believe that Bob Iger coming back, we bought into the management team. We do believe that he's trying to create more of a scarcity proposal and trying to cut content and trying to clean this up. I just think it's probably going to take a little bit longer, and I'm very contrarian on it. I'm going to maintain it for now. Uh, but in that sector, we like Netflix and Google and AT&T way better. Okay. Jenny, what about you? You own Disney. Yeah, and I think, I think it's important to remember that as much as we're all down on it, it's only down one and a half percent on the year, which I think really is a statement on the bad news being incorporated. And the stock right now is trading at basically 10 times the value, I'm sorry, 15 times the entire theme park, as if nothing else there is worth anything or counts. So I think it really is too cheap. I think there is up, you know, room for the share price to improve. I know Shannon's I mean, it is, way, it, it is significantly down from its 52-week high, though. Let's, sure. let's say that. I'm just saying, like, at this point, it feels like it's bottom. But Shannon's shaking her head at me because it's hard to watch your friends make mistakes repeatedly, isn't it? <laughs> so. The narrative here is that they, um, and Iger said this at their symposium, their investor symposium, they need to quiet the noise. The narrative here is yeah. all over the place, and that's why they, they're taking out Hulu, they're taking out that, so that's off the table. They're going to have to quiet the noise on ESPN. Um, and frankly, you know, the cap re the, the parks capex that is meant to quiet the noise as well but they just need to align better on their narrative so that we as investors don't make all of these assumptions and those assumptions are not leading to good conclusions for us so if i take this piece of paper <laughs> and i go over the chart and i cover the fact that it's disney which we all know the struggles and i look at the price action mm -hmm. since august you know what jenny you are a couple of dollars away from it actually being a technical buy. Wow. It you looks like it looks <laughs> like you've got a what's known as a W bottom and this stock gets to $89, $90, it's a buy. Yeah, and it's funny because if you look at the earnings growth, there's actually significant decent earnings growth into 24, 25. So, you know, you pair up the fundamentals and the technicals. and It's maybe not exactly the most compelling case ever, but it's so bad it's good has worked before. <laughs> hey, it's working <laughs> in, in the fact, market, in right? Fact, it, it has. So just... <laughs> Take Josh as an example. Josh is always on the show saying he wants to buy it low or wants to buy it one. Okay, a lot of people want to buy the stock in the 70s. Well, maybe you don't buy it in the 70s. Next thing you know, it's at, in the 90s and you say to yourself, wait a second, the train potentially is pulling out of the station. I better get it, run quickly to get on it. What about NXPI? That's next week too. Yeah, so this is all about uh, semi-autos. Uh, semi and we know that Clearly, the auto industry is slowing down significantly. So um, this is a stock that's been under pressure recently. 57% of its revenue exposure 
is for semi-autos. They've got some challenges ahead of them. I'm sure they're going to acknowledge on the call. The expectations are somewhat muted. Okay. Let's go through some moves. Uh, Mr. Belsky. Yes. Uh, speaking of automotive, LKQ. Yep. You bought that? Oh, you sold it. You sold it. Yeah, we own it for one month. That's uh, it? Yeah, I mean, we we made a mistake, and we looked at what was going on in Europe. We thought that would turn a little bit faster, and indications are it's not. Okay. Uh, wow, one month. Harley. <laughs> Price point. We just think the, the consumer, what we've talked about on this show, is kind of reeling back a little bit. So you sold this? We sold Harley-Davidson. We've owned it for five years. It's been a great call for us. Okay. I was wondering if we had a trend developing here. <laughs> LPL Financial. You sold that too. Same thing, took profits. We've owned this since for five years as well. It's a great little brokerage company, but we're going we're gonna to redeploy it in financials. Hey, if you're so bullish on the market, how come you haven't bought anything? What'd you buy? Oh, we're going to talk about that in the stock of the, my stock pick here at the end. I don't want to steal my thunder. Oh, for your final trade? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, okay. the moves. All right, we'll leave enough time for that. Uh, Jenny, you bought uh, Ardog uh, Metal Packaging, right. AMBP. Uh, yeah, this isn't super aggressive. We were at a 2% position in the portfolio. We bumped it to a 2.25% position. But all they do is make aluminum cans. And if you look at the numbers, you say, hey, those are terrible. But they start to generate significant flat cash next year. By the way, they were spun off of, spun off of Ardog Group. And it's got an 11% dividend yield, and they're going to pay that come hell or high water. And we're starting to see stability in aluminum cans supply and demand. So between that, we thought, okay, it's stabilized. We heard earnings. We see what the market's doing. We're willing to bump up our position. All right, uh, nice big move there. Uh, all right, final trades. Belsky's new buy <laughs> next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, Belsky, <laughs> we're not doing it as your final trade. Want to spend a little more time We're going to dig it. a little deeper? Yeah, we are. New buy is? Stiefel. We've owned the company for a while, but we doubled our position. The reason why we doubled our position is the company came out, terrible earnings. Uh, financials are getting crushed. This is a brokerage firm that is a home for refugees from bigger firms that don't want to be at big banks anymore. Great CEO. Uh, over the next year, we think 40% earnings growth, 10 times earnings. We like the brokerage business because it's scalable. And we think not enough people own uh, brokers. We think it's a great name. It's up near 9% in a week. Joe, what about brokers? What about financials? If you believe that the market is going to rally, if you think there's an improved environment for risk assets, then owning exchanges, brokers, and asset managers is a second derivative trade. Hey, didn't you, weren't you talking about, I heard you, I think, in a commercial talking about interactive? Yes, I was. <laughs> it's down today, Scott. We hold that. Well, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have mentioned two it because I mean I hear everything. Yeah, it's down. It's down two and a half percent today. Um, great company. I'd buy the dip. Okay, let's do final trades. Shan, you kick us off. Uh, you want to mention one of Joe's stocks that's down? <laughs> no, I want to mention utilities, which I've had you mention a lot over the last couple months. Uh, utilities bottomed right around October second, so and you're seeing uh, this. Uh, you know, changing the yield curve, um, certainly putting more emphasis on utilities, REITs, um, some of those more defensive sectors. Yeah, going for yield. That's like right. Jenny That's Harrington right. does. That's right. What's your final trade? Okay, Lamar Advertising. So they're the big billboards that you see everywhere. The stock was pummeled, announced perfectly fine earnings yesterday. Nothing spectacular. Stock was up 10%, up another 3.5% today. I think we're being reminded that perfectly fine and undervalued is the place to be. 
Okay. Mr. Belsky. United Airlines. I don't like airlines uh, traditionally, but we've owned Delta for a long time. We think United is coming back, and we think it's going to be a bang-up Christmas uh, vacation season. Yeah, these stocks have gotten hurt lately. Not mm -hmm. me. Today's a totally different story. Joe? Scott? Gardner? You finally I, getting I, a Gardner? I will see your interactive brokers and raise you a Gardner. <laughs> All right. We'll let you go out on a high. All right. Good weekend, everybody. Thank you. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.